to the Bendy and Philby show, which you can now follow us on Twitter at Bendy, B-E-N-D, Philby, P-H-I-L-B show. Portions of this broadcast are brought to you by Wine Mug. It's not Joe. What do you know? In our wine mugs tonight, uh, not wine tonight, we are drinking Conneaut Lees, as suggested by Neil last week. If you missed out, a Conneaut Lee is comprised of hot apple cider with local Boyd and Blair vodka, and they are delicious. Delicious. We have a new segment tonight, as we always like to add new segments. This segment is called, Has Philby Seen Avengers Yet? Philby, have you seen Avengers yet? Yes, I have. Finally. When, what were your thoughts on Avengers? I liked it. I definitely like Tony Stark. He's definitely my favorite character, and uh, I, I prefer his independent films. Now, do you regret waiting so long to see it that you now that you've finally seen it? I wish I'd seen it in theaters, but there's a theater in West Mifflin that still has it playing that I may make a field trip out to see. So what, did you watch it on demand? Is that how you did it? I did. I, I instant on demand did it. Now, Dark Knight Rises versus Avengers... Are you still in the Dark Knight Rises camp, or are you wavering? Dark Knight Rises, just because it's such a succinct ending to that three-movie set. And the Avengers movies, just kind of, you can tell they're opening up for the next bout. But what? who do, would you say your favorite Avenger is? Do you, you said Tony Stark? Tony Stark is, because I relate to him. How do you relate to Tony Stark, the uh, bil- uh, billionaire playboy philanthropist? What part of that do you relate to? Uh, billionaire playboy Philanthropist. All of the above. All of the above. And botanist. <laughs> and botanist. He's an aspiring botanist. They <laughs> failed to mention that. Yeah, they, they failed to mention that, but if you read the comics as closely as I do, you, you read between the lines, he's a botanist. Now, let me ask you this. I know everyone's waiting on pins and needles. Were you disappointed that the scene of Samuel L. Jackson run, yelling, Avengers, 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 running through, did not occur in the movie? It yes. was a deleted scene. I, yeah, I can't believe that didn't happen. That was such classic dialogue. And also, I was kind of disappointed that Hawkeye spent the whole movie, or half the movie, under the power of Loki. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my complaints, is because Hawkeye's hyped up, I mean, especially in the previews, as this really cool dude, he's brought up in Thor, you think he's going to be part of the team the whole time, and then he's just a bad guy. Gets taken over, mind-controlled in the first, I don't know, five minutes, three minutes. And he doesn't really even do anything with the mind-control, he just kind of walks around besides Loki... I mean, he kind of jumps on that, that crazy starship for a while. Which was awesome. Aircraft carrier slash uh, plane. But, I mean, I agree. I don't really think he added too much to the movie. But I will be excited if they keep going with him. And did you like Jeremy Renner better in this role or as Bourne? I like this role better. I think he... I wish he had gotten his own independent movie. I know he was in Thor, but I wish he had gotten his own independent movie before this. A Hawkeye movie. Yeah, well, you know, they're trying to set him up in all these different franchises, and I don't know if it's going to happen, because the original thing with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was that he was going to take over the franchise, but then Tom Cruise was so well-recepted in that movie that they'll keep going with him. I don't. He probably won't get his own Avengers movie, and if people like you keep hating Bourne, he may not get in the Bourne movie again. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but I have to say my favorite Avenger would be Captain America. I'm all about the all-American boy fighting in World War II. USA. Uh, yeah. What else? I mean, his shields. What else do you like about him? Well, I mean, he's kind of like they say, a man out of his time. I mean, he's still adjusting. He doesn't even get all the references, <laughs> which I think would be terrible not to get any of the references. <laughs> and uh, he got the he got the Wizard of Oz one with the flying monkeys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't ever complain. He just goes grabs a uh, he grabs a parachute, jumps out of the plane, goes right after the action. I mean, and his fight with uh, with Thor is pretty sweet with the uh, thunder on the shield. Yeah, I like that a lot. Cool. I wish there were more fighting in between them. I wish I could see Hulk fighting any and all of them. 
well, Hulk beats him up pretty bad. Whenever he gets, whenever Brad, what is his name? Loki. Yeah, there's enough fighting with Hulk. He destroys, practically destroys that aircraft carrier boat plane thing. Was that your favorite part when he just smashes Loki? Because I, I saw it at midnight and the audience just went nuts for that part. <laughs> My favorite line was definitely uh, Iron Man looking at Hawkeye when they're about to take off to the top of the uh, skyscraper. And he goes, you better clench up, Legolas. <laughs> yeah, I'd say between that or uh, him just saying puny god after he just whips the shit out of Loki. <laughs> now, you said you had one gripe about this film. What was your one gripe about it? Uh, the bad guys, to me, were putty people. I mean, if you, get, if you get that Power Ranger throwback. But they were just weak. I didn't see them as being too challenging for the Avengers just to, you know, they just beat them up. They yeah. smoked them. It didn't seem like they did too much. They just flew in and uh, put their little staffs at the humans and just stood there while waiting for the Avengers. And I think that was a big gripe that a lot of people had, was just that it wasn't really a formidable villain enough for the Avengers. Loki's pretty badass, but his putty people-ish bad guys weren't really that challenging, it seems. Yeah, it starts out so promising. I mean, he drills a guy's eyeball out. He's terrorizing Germany and Europe. And he gets captured, and he has it all like great dialogue. And then he just kind of... Sends in the monsters and throws his hands up in the air. Wants his name on a big building. Which I can understand. Who wouldn't? I know. Tony Stark. Oh, yeah. Then you get the nice ending montage that ties it all together just with the A in Stark for the Avengers. Right. And hopefully everybody out there has seen it. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Posthumous spoiler alert, in case you didn't know. Moving on from movies to television, uh, I think we can agree we both found one of our new favorite shows. Uh, you can find this on Netflix. It's part of the BBC and its name is Sherlock. Now, not to be confused with the two other Sherlocks currently <laughs> in here, there is the movie uh, Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr., and there is the new show with Lucy Liu that kind of mirrors this. But I don't know if Philby will agree with me, but I think this show, Sherlock, as produced by the BBC, like I said, is better than both of them, and it's just an outstanding show all around. Oh, it sticks very well to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, stories. Now, you, I like it the best. Would you like to explain the, uh, the premise to anyone who hasn't seen it yet? It's just a modern-day interpretation of a couple of, uh, his, of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Uh, I forget the exact stories. They go the first season; they're less famous stories of his, and the second season they're much more famous. Oh, see, I didn't know that they actually mirrored the books. So these are actual stories adapted for modern day that they are doing with the show. Correct, correct. There's, I I don't remember the exact, but well, the first show was the cab driver. I don't know how that mirrors the old thing, and the second one was the the art collector in the museum. Right. Now, what's cool about these episodes is that they are each an hour and a half long, so it's kind of like a mini-movie each, and there's only three episodes per season. The first two seasons are on Netflix Instant, if you pay for that. If not, I'd say it's worth paying for just to watch Sherlock for a month. Uh, I think the two leads are fantastic. You have, This is probably the best name in Hollywood. Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes and Martin Freeman as John Watson. And you might recognize Martin Freeman... For two different reasons, he is the Jim character in the British office, and he will be Bilbo in the upcoming Lord of the Rings movies. Also on Netflix from the BBC, if you're interested, you can watch Doctor Who, which is probably the longest-running sci-fi show that I enjoy from time to time. And they also have, like I said, the British office and Downton Abbey, which sounds kind of like a corny drama, but you'll get really into it when you watch it. So i just like to put in a plug for all those shows. And if you'd like to stick to the U.S. networks and the paying cable... I would also like to put in a plug for Dexter and Homeland, especially Homeland. It's on its second season right now. 
You can catch up with both of them. Uh, I think they just took Dexter off Netflix. Homeland, you'll either have to download illegally or buy the season one DVD that just came out. And talking about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's books, I recently downloaded The Adventure of the Red-Headed League, a classic Sherlock Holmes tale, onto my Kindle. I personally like reading electronic books, but Benja, you said you don't. Well, see, you know, I bought a Kindle when they first came out, and I really loved it, and, and I spent a bunch of money on books, and I got all a bunch of free books, too, which was nice. I could read a lot of the classics, but then... As a big book fan, I found myself kind of longing to actually have the actually have the physical book. It's kind of a gratifying feeling to finish a book and just put it back on the bookshelf or display it and lend it out. And whereas the Kindle, it's just kind of you archive it back onto the internet and and that's that. Ironically, you buying your Kindle inspired me to buy my Kindle. Yeah, uh, you ended up liking it more. I ended up liking it a lot more. continuous versions. And I also used it because it was free 3G that I could use to check my email in the apartment that didn't have wireless. But, um, yeah, I personally like it. I can scan through a book real quick. I've been reading Doug Tallamy's Bringing Nature Home, which is all about planting nature uh, native plants. Riveting. Yeah, very riveting. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I like having the actual Kindle, but I ended up selling it. I have an iPad now. I have the Kindle app, so it's almost the same thing. I know some people don't like the glare, and uh, does your Kindle have a backlight or anything? Like, do you read at night I on it? I have a case with the light on it. So is that what you would recommend, getting the regular Kindle with the case? Well, they just got the new uh, backlit one, or they just got the new one that has a screen, lit screen. Um, I like the one with the keyboard. I have two versions of that, and I took my older one to the beach just in case it got sand in it. So it was just to make sure, as a precaution, I kept the sand out of its ports. Now, are there any other more recent books that you could recommend? Are you strictly kind of a uh, botany non, kind uh, of non-fiction kind of guy, unfortunately? So what, what, were, what are some of your favorite books these days? Uh, besides Bringing Nature Home, yes. uh, <laughs> I'm always a Gatsby fan. I like to read Poe's, uh, Edgar Allan Poe short stories as well as... So the classics. The classics, yeah. Um, what about you? I'm kind of all over the place, but right now I'm reading the book. It's called Team of Rivals, and it's by Doris Goodwin Kearns, and it's just about... It's a Lincoln biography, but it chronicles how he picked all of his re Republican opponents to be part of his party, and the new movie Lincoln, directed by Steven Spielberg, which looks fantastic, with... Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, right. He's playing Lincoln... And that's what the movie is based off of. So I usually like to read the book before I see the movie, just so I can know what I'm getting into and how well they adapted it and all that. So I'm really excited to see Lincoln, which I think is out in mid-November, if, if I'm wrong. We'll, uh, we'll address that in the corrections later, but I'm really excited to see that. And I always read The New Yorker. I have a subscription. I like reading good journalism and sometimes supporting that. So those are my two things I'm reading right now. That's weird for a journalism major. Yeah, really. Who would have thunk it? Now, last week we had you name your top ten favorite movies, and I have my list of my own, so dispute or agree with any of these titles, I'm just going to run through them, we can discuss. Uh, these are in no particular order, really, it's just off the top of my head. Silence of the Lambs, that is my all-time favorite, the rest just follows. Silence of the Lambs, Friday Night Lights, Inception, Into the Wild, Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, The Graduate, Lord of the Rings, Armageddon, and Batman. The what was the? Let me see it again. Um, Friday Night Lights. Remember the Titans wasn't above that one. No, 
Friday Night Lights is gritty and real, and it's shot with kind of a uh, a documentary style, and it's based on a true story. And I know, remember the Titans is, but that's kind of skewed just a little bit. Whereas Friday Night Lights, Buzz Bissinger, the author, actually chronicled the team throughout the season, and it's real. It's got like high schoolers drinking, getting into trouble, struggling to win the state championship in Texas, where it's just expected of them. Okay. I think I think Remember the Titans is good on its own. It's more kind of a a race story and the team coming together. And there's not really too much football in it. I just think that Remember the Titans really set the precedent for all the sports movies. Yeah, that. I mean, it set off a string of Disney sports movies, and they were kind of hit or miss. Some were good, some were not so good. And while you have, uh, you know, you have the iconic performances from Denzel Washington in that movie, you also have equally as good a performance from Billy Bob Thornton, and you also have all the kids who I think were enormously great in Friday Night Lights. So, I mean, that's just why I like that a little bit better. Are there any other movies you'd like to question yeah. on here? Lord of the Rings, all three, just like my Oceans, minus um, the second one. If I had to pick one that I could watch over and over, I'd have to say is The Two Towers. Now, I know really? Fellowship is more critically acclaimed, and Return of the King won all the awards. I like Return of the King better. The landscapes were much just eye-popping. Yeah, I mean, they really hit their stride in it, but, you know, I, I think they... I know that that's how Tolkien wrote it, is wrote it, excuse me, wow, my grammar, is how at the end the ghost army shows up and they help them win the battle, and then it's all kind of accelerated, but in the two towers it just seems like there's more hanging on the Battle of Helm's Deep. I just kind of, I really like the build up to that, and how they just win the battle at the very end, and that's just the end of the movie. I just think the battle overall meant more than the Battle of Minas Tirith, which is in the third one where they just kind of end it really abruptly, and Helm's Deep is kind of long and drawn out throughout the movie. So ended, that's why I like that. Ended abruptly. It ends with his coronation. Well, the movie ends with his coronation, not the battle. The battle, just the ghosts just sweep in. and I don't know. I I like that one better. Yeah, well, agree to disagree. Well, what about any other movies on there? Uh, that's about it. I mean, the other ones are all classics. Now, getting into everyone's favorite, we are going to do some Would You Rathers. We have two from last week that we didn't get to because we got them a little bit too late. The first one is from our good friend Allie Thomas. She writes, Would you rather have a cat hair covered tongue or fish scales on your hands? I'm going fish scales on your hands. Yeah? Yep, and you can always wear gloves. Wouldn't the gloves stick to your hands, though? But it'd be better to have gloves on than to whenever you stick your tongue out at somebody, they just laugh at you because you have cat hair on your tongue. Yeah, it would suck eating things as well. Oh, I can't even imagine it. Now, this is coming from the swimmer's perspective. Now, keep in mind, these are fish scales and not webbing, though. So it's just an awkward-looking hand. that's fine. Again, gloves, but a tongue with cat hair on it? Ugh. It's already annoying enough having a beard hair in your mouth. I agree that I would go for fish scales on my hand any day of the week. I can't imagine a scenario that I would want a cat hair-covered tongue. I get one of my cat's hairs in my mouth, and it's just... It's in there all day. It's disgusting. It's gross. Now, you have a second one here. Would you like to read it? We have a second Would You Rather from our friend Joe Ryan. And his Would You Rather is, Would you rather be a good dancer or a good singer? Weddings, karaoke, nightclubs, church hymns, a lot to consider. What would you think, Bendy? I think, hands down, better singer. I mean, I fancy myself a decent singer now. I would like to be a really great singer. But just to pull it out on certain occasions like those, not to... Go around boasting about it. You know, you want to be humble about your abilities. I probably would definitely be better dancer, because you get a lot of attention in those nightclubs for dancing well. But I feel as though dancing something something that you learn and pick up and that you can get better at your own if you want to. Seeing something 
You either have it or you don't. Um, not if you don't have any rhythm. That makes dancing for me kind of hard. Yeah, but uh, you can still... I mean, all those guys I mean, dancing with the stars, all those guys learn. I can, do, coach. I can certainly do hips don't lie. That's not a problem for me. No, certainly not. <laughs> if you'd like to follow Joe on Twitter, his handle is at Joe Ryan, Joe Ryan, just like it sounds. Now, another thing we don't talk on this show enough about, because we have great opinions on these things, are sports. And joining us right now is our Pirates correspondent, uh, Peter Henriksen. He's going to talk about and lament the terrible collapse of the Pirates season, and if anything, what we have to look forward to. All right, Peter, now I'm just going to ask you a few questions. First of all, who is to blame for the Pirates' major collapse at the end of the season? That's a difficult question. Because, well, you got, uh, answer. You got, you got to have you got to have an opinion. I mean, so who can I, we blame? Right. I I guess so. From a theoretical perspective, I'm really big into operations, and there's this theory in operations that says that, I mean, what happened to the pirates was like a complete and total disaster, right? So the month of August, they they went from 16 games over to just under, I think it was two games over 500 right at the end of August. Right. Um, and that's pretty much unprecedented in baseball. So that's pretty much, by definition, a total disaster. And when you look from an operations point of view, there isn't a single thing that causes that kind of thing. And as a re- it's actually just a bunch of small things put together that turn into a disaster. So a couple things really went wrong. So uh, Andrew McCutcheon had an awful August. Our two Cy Young candidates, uh, uh, A.J. Burnett and James McDonald, fell apart. Uh, James never recovered. He was never the same pitcher that he was before the All-Star break. No, he was terrible uh, down the stretch. He, I mean, he was taking it out of the rotation. He was a guy that was a Cy Young candidate before the All-Star break, and he was taken out of the rotation, which is just... Re- I mean, it was the right move, but it's just... It's such heart- a heart-wrenching thing to happen. And then the bullpen fell apart, fell apart. But, I mean, if there's one person I'm going to yell at, it's Clint. I really don't like Clint. He's a very conservative manager in that he does a lot of things that are very traditional. He really buys into the small ball sort of philosophy of bunting, stealing, that you know, statistically doesn't really actually help your chances. Of so now, how does that how does that hurt them though? His his small ball. I mean, like what what would be an example of that if you can think of one? Uh, so I guess for stealing, I pirates are this year were really really bad at stealing. Uh, and the good example of that is James. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Andrew McCushion. He was actually a really bad base stealer this year. Um, even though a lot of people describe him as a fast player. And I think they gave him way too much leniency in deciding when to run or not. You know, on average, if you have a person on first base with zero outs, you're supposed to score .5 runs. And when you get someone out at second, which was happening more often than not, all of a sudden that average drops quite a bit. You know, I think what someone like Clint doesn't realize is that having someone on first with no outs is a huge asset. And he undervalues how much that asset is actually worth. But I think the best example of Clint really mismanaging is how he handled the bullpen. And the, the best example of that is how he handled Joel Hammerhand. And Joel was the closer for the Pirates throughout the season, and which is rare, but it happened. Uh, but he was only brought in for the ninth inning. Like, he was a ninth inning guy. Even though we were faced in the middle of the lineup, you know, top of the eighth against the Reds or something like that. He was, he was still left on in the bullpen for the ninth, even if you know we fell apart in the eighth. 
and that was just a very conservative traditional you know the the, the closer only comes in for the nine so if you ask the people who you know are of the money ball statistical interpretation of the game they're going to say saves are very meaningless statistics they they come from a very flawed view of how the base game of baseball should be evaluated um, in the same way that win losses are a very useless way of determining how successful a pitcher is and to a certain extent uh, batting average is kind of useless as a statistic uh, so if you ask someone like myself uh, I would say that you know saves are in, you know they, they don't mean a whole lot in the end of things but if you ask someone like I don't know, someone who's been in the game 20, 25 years more, who've been, who've gone through the minor league system, who've played, who've been managing at various levels, you know, they're probably going to say something that's much more different than what I have to say. I, actually, my hands-down favorite player of the year was Jason Grilly. Agreed. He was a free agent signing. He was in the Phillies uh, minor league system, and he was kind of this forgotten player. He was aging, and he was just filling up the system, and we brought him in, and he found velocity all of a sudden and you know the the system was that Jason Gurley came in in the eighth and Hanrahan came in in the ninth and that actually worked really well for half of the season um and then Gurley kind of lost uh some of his luster and his uh his pitch location and I think there should have been an adjustment there I think you know we shouldn't have had this system where Gurley always came in the eighth and Hanrahan always came in the ninth mm-hmm. um and it's it's you know that it the that whole system extends from this this belief in the setup man. You have this guy who comes in, who is pretty consistent, and he can he he'll, he won't do anything fancy. He'll just get the three outs. He won't let anyone get runs. You know, he might let a guy on, but he's not going to be the shutdown guy. But he's going to get you through the eighth, and that's how they that's how they treated how they treated him when they should have realized that Jason Greeley was an incredible strikeout pitcher you know yeah. he was a guy who no one could get contact on for three quarters of the season now you said he was your favorite player but who would be your mvp for the pirates i mean it had to be mccutcheon up until the last few months kind of tailed off would it be anyone else besides him or would you agree that he's still the mvp andrew mccutcheon was an mvp for this team all for except one month uh he had a really bad august he actually rebounded pretty well in september uh, i mean he was up until up until probably the first or second week of August, he was the front runner for uh, the MVP of the National League. There was no one that was close to him that had been uninjured for the season. I mean, it, the thing is that as much as AJ Vermette and James McDonald bent to the pitching, uh, there was no one that was close on that road, uh, in that lineup that was as close to what Andrew McCutcheon was doing. Uh, the only other player I can think of off the top of my head that had a very good offensive season is Pedro Alvarez. And, you know, that was, you know, he had a terrible first two and a half months. But, you know, mm-hmm. the guy destroyed the ball this year. He had a slugging percentage that was, you know, that really promising. Uh, Garrett Jones had a fantastic August. He was probably the only Pirate that had a good August. And he won a couple of National League Players of the Week uh, in August, which is, I think, something that's surprising for a lot of people seeing how bad the Pirates were. Um, but it has to be injury question. It just has to be. Now, bonus question, last question. What is it like being a fan in D.C., where you are currently located? It's, 
What's, what's it, well, let me back up. What's it like being a fan of any Pittsburgh sport in D.C.? Is there any animosity, or are they just... Or it's kind of, they kind of have a resurgence in all of their teams. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of animosity towards me being... So I'm actually not technically in the district. I'm in College Park, Maryland, which is Close within enough. the Beltway and outside of the district, which is confusing, but that's how it works, uh, I guess, geographically. So I'm I'm very much in Ravens territory, which is uh, a problem. It's a problem, suffice to say. Um, so that's that's problematic, especially with such a rough start for the Steelers. Um, so that's 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 unfortunate. Yeah, but, but I think there's a lot of uh, if there's one team that I can identify with outside of the Pirates is the Baltimore Orioles. That's what I was you know, about to say. They they haven't had a winning season since what 1997, uh, and there's there's a lot of optimism for this team that around this area that I felt in Pittsburgh in June and July. And it's something that I can relate to, obviously. Can you um, relate to winning? Because I haven't been able to relate to it very often with the Pirates. I, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, they were in a much, much... I, don't, I wouldn't say it was much more difficult uh, division. I mean, we probably had the hardest division in the National League this year, but the AL East is kind of a very different animal in that you have to play the Yankees and you have to play the Red Sox and you just... It's a very different culture, and for them to, I mean, they didn't even win the division this year, but what they were able to do was just incredible, and I really look forward to seeing what they have to do in the playoffs. I hope they win the wild card, so I think that's really exciting. I really don't like the Nationals, truth be told. <laughs> um, I, I really wish they were still the Expos. I really don't like their stadium. It kind of reminds me of a three-tier AAA stadium, but that's just me. Um, and I just, I don't know, Bryce Harper and, you know, having a seven number one draft picks in a row, you know, is a pretty decent way of starting a team. But I think the Orioles did. I, I, I can't believe Nate McLeod is playing well for them, but, you know, he is. And props to them for going out on a limb and picking up Nate McLeod and have, putting him in the lineup every day and having him succeed. So I, well, I really sweet. think they win. Yeah, well. Best of luck to the Orioles, just a little bit. But uh, we're going to wrap things up, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'll see you next time. All right, it is corrections time. We have two corrections today. From our last podcast, we'd like to point out that Boyd and Blair is actually made in Glenshaw and not Aspinwall. Thanks, PJ and Lee, for pointing that out. And that Kathy, who I said is some girl, actually turns out to be my lovely fiancé. So there is that. <laughs> and... Uh, we'd like to thank both of our Would You Rather contributors and Peter Hendrickson for joining us on today's podcast, and that the next podcast will be from the wilderness of Potter County, Pennsylvania, where supposedly there's a bear with mange roaming around. So we'll have to see if we run into that bear during our trip to Potter County. And until next time, we are signing off. Thank you for listening once again, and please spread the word.